Have you ever felt hopeless? That's a feeling that would be completely foreign to Jesus. He never encounters a hopeless case because he has the power to redeem and restore any situation. As Stephen Davy continues the wisdom journey today, Jesus encountered a deranged, demon-possessed man. That man is saved and used in God's service. It's an important reminder for us regarding our own lives or the seemingly hopeless person we encounter. Talk to people on the street today about demons and demon possession, and and you're probably going to hear various uh, viewpoints. Most of it's going to land somewhere between fiction and fear. People typically make one of two errors in regard to the devil and, and his demons. They either disregard them or they become obsessed with them. Well, the Bible clearly tells us to focus our attention never on the devil, always on Christ. We're to keep our eyes on him, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, uh, we're told how to resist the devil. We, We are told that he'll flee from us. And it isn't coming up with some special incantation. It has nothing to do with sprinkling holy water, you know, around our room or holding a cross. It it, it has everything to do with drawing near to God. Now, we're also told to get dressed every day in the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, we're about to watch a demonstration of that promise here in Luke's Gospel in chapter 8. After Jesus miraculously calmed the storm out there on the Sea of Galilee, verse 26 says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. Now, this phrase, had demons, refers to demon possession. That's when an unbeliever comes under the mastery of a a demon, and the person's thinking, uh, their emotions, even their body, are uniquely dominated by the demon. Now, what Satan is doing, by the way, is making someone a counterfeit temple of an unholy spirit. You see, he's counterfeiting the indwelling Holy Spirit for the believer. So demon possession is when the devil gets to play God. Now, as Christians, uh, we can be oppressed by demons, but we cannot be possessed by them because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We're told in the Bible that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And the Spirit of God, by the way, isn't going to share a room with a demon. Now, as we work through this encounter here, I want to make some observations about this demonized man. By the way, Matthew's gospel reveals there are two demonized men. Now, remember, when you put the gospels together, they provide the fullest account. The gospels of Mark and Luke focus only on one of these men, and I believe that's because he's the man who will become a follower of Christ. He's going to become a missionary back in his hometown which would have been the town of Gadara. Now, verse 27 here in Luke chapter 8 tells us, 
For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. In other words, he's mentally deranged and essentially homeless. He's also physically dangerous. Verse 29 says, for a long time, the demons had seized him. He was He was now kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So he's a self-destructive wild man under the raving power of demons. This man would be what we would call today a hopeless case. Everybody knew about this madman of Gadara. Well, We're told here that he sees Jesus and the disciples row ashore, and he runs down. He rushes down to meet them, and verse 28 describes what happens next. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? My, what a staggering statement here. I mean, just think about what it reveals about the demonic world. First of all, it reveals the demons believe in the reality of the incarnation. He calls Jesus son of the Most High God. He knows he isn't falling down at the feet of a Jewish rabbi or a prophet or a good teacher, but before the very God, God in the flesh, God the Son. Matthew's gospel account adds that these demons cry out through this man, have you come here to torment us before the time? That's Matthew 8, 29. In other words, this reveals the demons believe in future prophetic events. The demons assume Jesus has shown up to judge them before the final judgment recorded in Revelation chapter 20, when the demons are going to be cast into the fire of hell. Well, back here in Luke's account, Verse 31, they begged Jesus not to command them to depart into the abyss. Abyss, literally translated, means without bottom. It's a reference to the bottomless pit, the final place of torment in hell. You know, our our world might try to deny the reality of hell, but let me tell you, the demons believe it. The demons have no doubt at all about their future judgment in hell. Well, Jesus now asks a question here in verse 30. What is your name? The demonic spokesman answers, Legion, for many demons had entered him. That's a rather chilling answer. A Roman legion had over 5,000 soldiers. So this demon is actually saying that there are thousands of them involved in controlling this man's body and mind. Now, with that, Jesus demonstrates the power of his word, a single command, no matter how many demons are involved here. Verse 32 says, Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Now, Mark's gospel informs us that there were about 2,000 pigs in this herd. This was a Gentile region. Some Bible scholars believe they were running a black market for nearby Jewish uh, uh, people or Jewish community. So evidently, not so faithful Jewish people uh, were involved since they shouldn't have been involved in eating pork. Others uh, believe the farmers were Jews themselves running a rather booming business, providing ham, pork, for that region of the world. Either way, the Lord not only frees this man, 
but he judges this region for their unfaithfulness to the law of Moses. So here in verse 34, the herdsmen flee to the city. They they tell everybody what just happened, and a crowd returns to see the man who just ruined their business. Verse 35 says, They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him, that is Jesus, to depart from them. So get this here. Here's this, here's this madman. His life has been redeemed by the power of Jesus. And all these people can think about is that Jesus ruined their business. Now, here's the deeper issue, though. They considered 2,000 pigs to be more valuable than one insane man's life. And I got to tell you, that's insanity. Verse 38 tells us, The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So the madman now becomes the messenger of the king. Let me me pull from this scene Another principle that comes to mind about the demonic kingdom. Here it is. Jesus can do his best in someone's life even after Satan has done his worst. Can you imagine Jesus telling his disciples, listen, men, what I want to do is pull ashore over here near that cemetery up on top of that little mountain, and there's somebody that I want to appoint as a new missionary. And about then... Here comes this madman screaming, more than likely naked, running down the hill toward them. And Jesus says, well, what do you know? There he comes now. (laughs) Let me tell you, beloved, this man, just like you and me, well, he was once a trophy in the hand of Satan. And now, like every one of us, he's a trophy of grace in the hand of Christ. And he has the same commission, by the way, that you and I have to tell everybody in our city, our world, that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God, that he reached you. Maybe you were that hopeless case, but he delivered you and set you free. Well, until our next wisdom journey, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. If you're new to our ministry or have never taken us up on this offer, we have a gift for you today. In addition to these daily lessons, Stephen also publishes a magazine. He deals with a different topic each month and helps you understand what the Bible says and how it applies directly to your life. We want to send you the next three issues. Call us at 866 48 Bible or visit wisdomonline.org. Do that today, then join us next time as we continue the wisdom journey.